This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beers in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Brewing as well as their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff there. I know uh, Manhattan Brewing Company is going to be busy this weekend with, uh, with a big game with Texas coming to town. Be sure to get in there and uh, check those guys out. This week, Della gets back in the mix as we review K-State's dominating 48-0 win over Oklahoma State and preview a big matchup with Texas on Saturday. We also highlight another in the long line of Wildcat Legends in a segment we affectionately call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And we also debut a new segment titled Babbling Bout Brands, where we give our thoughts on the brand power of the new Big 12 before wrapping up this episode with Ask the Icon. This is the short side option. Nice to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's D-Lou. And we're back to review a K-State 48-0 victory over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Uh, it was a game, uh, Delhi here that uh, K-State was able to, uh, to win on last Saturday. That everything just uh, came up perfect uh, on Saturday. And the Wildcats could really do no wrong. Taking the lead early and uh, pitching a shutout over uh, a top 10 team with the Oklahoma State Cowboys in, in what was a, uh, a great uh, K-State victory on Saturday. want to give a quick shout out here before we get too far uh, on here to at uh, RYN underscore JRGR. Ryan. It's just like it sounds like he's got a mouthful of rocks there. Yeah. Uh, a joker, a shyster, if one will. And uh, if you will... He's also the recipient of a heartfelt congratulatory shout-out. If you will, Howard. If you will, Howard. That's right. Uh, no one really very close this week. I don't think many folks saw this 48 nothing victory coming. I did. Um, I uh, just... uh, 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 uh. No, no easy buckets here, Mr. Deli. Uh, you, you picked Kansas State to lose last week. Do you not recall? Yeah, but then I changed my mind afterward. So I, I expected K-State to come up big time. And they did. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Convenient. <laughs> Convenient yeah. as it was. Well, Deli, let's bring you into the program here, buddy. I, I almost forgot how handsome you were. Yeah. I, I, I had seen you in some time. Well, I went to the boutique. Yeah. I uh, got a new hairdo, as you can see. It's yeah. a nice, big uh, uh, beehive haircut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was notice, I noticed some uh, some activity in here and some bees are. Yeah. I think they, that's home for them. Yeah. They built uh, a uh, kind of a... Starting to build a honeycomb in there, and yeah. 
So it's, that's got some utility. But, um, yeah, it's great to be back. Well, I'll tell you, you know, like Honeycomb is sweet. I, I think Will Howard's performance on Saturday was pretty sweet, wasn't uh, it? You bet it was. Huh? He, How about that? He came out looking uh, a lot like he did in the first half against Texas Christian. Yeah, you know, he did. Let's just go ahead and hop into it. You know, I thought the play of the game, honestly, and this is hard to say, you know, on the first drive of the game is the most important play of the game. Uh, I'm telling you, I think the first, I think the, the biggest play of the game was on that fourth and 10 uh, on that 38 yard. One, we get the we get the false start to move us back from going from fourth and five now to fourth and ten. Balls at the thirty-eight. You know, I'm under the belief. It's my opinion, honestly, and this is just me. I'd rather punt the ball there in that situation. And I thought the false start there from the thirty-eight. Yeah, I would punt it. Okay. Um, but that's me, and I I know I'm a dinosaur apparently because if you don't go for it every time, you're archaic nowadays. But anyway. You you decide you get the the five yard penalty on the fall starter uh, there to, to move you back to fourth and ten and uh, we keep the offense out there much to to a little bit of my um, chagrin so to speak and Will Howard dials one up to uh, to Cade Warner on a ball that you know when you look at that play Will kind of uh, half circles out of the pocket. Uh, out of the pocket, moving to, towards the K-State sideline. And he throws one right on the, on the money uh, to, uh, to Cade Warner for a touchdown. That was his first uh, of the day. Uh, but we'd hit, hear more from Cade Warner just a little bit later on in the first half. Uh, to me, that's the play of the game because, honestly, from there, uh, the K-State avalanche just continued to roll. Well, when you can convert, and especially if K-State can convert, a fourth and ten in that kind of fashion, um, you know, you get the feeling that you're living right. Um, sure. But you know, that, but that that's really just kind of a demonstrative for the whole day, where Will Howard just comes up with a big play when K State uh, needed it, and yeah. uh, you know, kind of a breakout game for Kate Warner too, a guy who. Uh, has had his ups and downs even in a short time at K-State, but finds himself making a lot of big plays recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, I mean, even dating back to the Tulane game, I mean, with yeah. that, that big touchdown catch in that otherwise bad game. But Cade Warner has all of a sudden found a knack for the end zone, and him kind of stepping up and being that, uh, third option for K-State beyond Malik and beyond Phillip Brooks uh, has really been a big part of this offense in the last few games. And uh, Will Howard being able to deliver it, uh, we can talk about this a little later, but Howard being able to, to deliver that ball uh, gives this K-State offense a wrinkle that I don't think it had in the first half of the season. Yeah, and let's, let's just kind of go down here. You know, I don't... I don't know if we need to spend a whole lot of time necessarily breaking down, you know, each drive here of the game. Uh, although I could talk about this game, I think, all week because yeah. it was it, when it, when it comes down to it, I think this is one of my favorite K State games I've been to in some time. Well, it's you know, there even in K State's wins, it's hard to remember a game where you really felt like K State played a complete game all the way across. I mean, even you know, some Oklahoma, for instance, it was a great game. But there were parts of that defense where, you know, busted coverages, what have you, that 
you're thinking, boy, I'm glad we won and we deserve to win, but there's so far from perfect. perfect. Yeah. Uh, even going back to the South Dakota game, it was, yeah, we we won comfortably, but is the passing offense there? And you can do that with really any number of K-State games, including K-State wins over the last five, ten years, where K-State really didn't look like, I mean, not everything went right. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I mean, I can count the number of times on one or two hands of plays that weren't objectively very good for K-State. I mean, the Will Swanson drop, for instance, that sticks yeah. out. The play in the first quarter that resulted in the Oklahoma State fumble. Um, well, that, was not looking at, was, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it ends in a fumble. Yeah. The Will Swanson drop yep. ends in a touchdown drive anyway. Yeah. Um, I think Deuce Vaughn, that was the, was that the Deuce run drive where he broke free or whatever it was? I mean, it was yeah. one of the five touchdowns in the first half. Yeah. But um, all in all, it, this was the one of the only games in the last long time where you look at it and it's like, I really don't have any complaints about anything. Yeah, hard too when you, you win a, a game over uh, a ranked top 10 team, uh, 48-0, which I want to say too, this is the largest uh, point discrepancy between two ranked teams playing uh, where the lower team won, uh, lower ranked team won in college football history, I believe at least since the modern poll era began, which you know called out World War II, I guess. Yeah. Um, so when you look at that, uh, some history taking place in the bill. Well, yeah, and you know Oklahoma State. I mean, this isn't the little sisters of the poor. I mean, even sure. So Oklahoma State banged up. Yep, it is what it yep. is. They are their receivers are down. They got some guys on defense that are out. Um, Spencer Sanders appeared to maybe be on his his last leg there uh, yeah. after after really physical uh, you know three two weeks of games leading up to this. But not for nothing, this is the same team that this is the same group of guys that went out and beat Texas last week. It is, um, and so even in its diminished state, this is a quality Oklahoma State team, um, and K State just imposed totally imposed their will on them for. For 60 minutes. And like you, I mean, I think that there were some important plays in this game. You mentioned the the first touchdown pass on 4th and 10. But Oklahoma State goes out on their next drive, and it's a turnover on down. Right? Mm-hmm. And then yep. I think Get it's a the punt, field. and then it's the fumble. And No, we score. We score. We make it uh, 14 nothing. No, right? that's what I mean. Yeah. I'm talking about the Oklahoma yeah. State drive. Sure. And sure. they there were moments in that game where, you know, you worried about, okay, is, is Oklahoma State going to get back in this thing? Because we saw it two weeks ago against Texas Christian. Sure. Where K-State had the opportunity to go up four scores in the first half and wasn't able to deliver the knockout blow. Exactly. And that's what, what I was going to get to next is, you know, K-State kept the, you know, the, you say the foot on the gas, you know, keep the hammer down, whatever you want to say on it. But uh, what they did offensively, uh, I thought was, I mean, in, in it's one of these games that I think everything's just working well for you. I mean, you, you just you have some of those games every now and then where you can't do anything wrong. And but Casey did a really nice job of getting Will Howard comfortable with a, a variety of throws. He was able to push the ball downfield a little bit. You saw on a deep pass to Phillip Brooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw on a nice one out to the sideline. Uh, with Malik Knowles, but also getting Malik Knowles kind of in that uh, 
in, in the screen game uh, out there where he's able to make a quick guy miss on a, on a pass behind the line of scrimmage. Amazing of, play. Of course, Cade Warner on his uh, touchdown on the screen where we had guys looking for people to block. There was right. no one there. Uh, yeah, so, is escorting yeah. Cade Warner 30 yards downfield. So, you know, those uh, those those kind of plays that I'm just highlighting kind of showed what K-State was really able to do. Of course, too, getting back to to uh, the ground game, 37 carries for uh, 199 yards, uh, so five almost five and a half yards a carry there. You know, really, offensive line, uh, if I told you that K-State ran for south of 200, although only just one yard away from 200, you're probably thinking K-State might have a little bit of a tough time in this game uh, against an Oklahoma State team if they're not able to move the ball uh, on the ground at, at a little bit more uh, higher clip. But K-State throws the ball for 296 yards. Will Howard uh, was really tremendous, 21 of 37 passing the ball uh, for four touchdowns. Uh, with what you saw from him, I think he's really the highlight. He's got to be the the lead dog here in terms of grabbing the headlines. Um Looks like you mentioned. Looks like he just picked right where he left off uh, during kind of that first half of that of that TCU game. Uh, I think now you have a real interesting case on your hands about where the who, who takes the snaps for K State going forward. Yeah, well, and here's the thing about Will. I mean, I think it's it's hard to trust that this is the real deal. I think. I mean, I think that's a lot of where the trepidation is because if this guy if let me put it this way if this was if will's first game experience for k-state was the tcu game uh ever and last year texas didn't happen the uh the southern illinois game didn't happen last year and the 2020 stuff was just wiped away wiped away yeah i mean i think it would be a pretty darn easy call you know what I mean? I I think that if all we saw out of Will Howard uh, was the last two games, then he looks like it's like a Trevor Lawrence situation where it's this guy is the future uh, program defining guy. Problem is, is that's not the case. That yeah. we remember, we we've seen a lot of Will Howard for K State, mm-hmm. and a lot of it hasn't been very good. Um, and so there's a level of trust I think that. At least I don't have yet, and maybe Kleiman does. Maybe maybe Klein does. Huff, but no, I'm just I'm I'm saying wait because his last two performances I think have been extremely impressive. Yeah, they have. And it's indicative of you know if this is the real deal, if this is what you know, I I don't think we're probably expecting four touchdown, four passing touchdowns, three hundred yards every week. But um, if he can. Uh, make the throws he made on Saturday. I mean, I think it makes this offense, it, it gives this offense an element that it really hasn't had. Um, it's, with Skyler on his better days, yeah. it, it was there. But it's not there with Adrian Martinez. It's a fundamentally different offensive system than when Adrian's in there. Because on Saturday, we didn't run Will. No, times. yeah, and that's a great point to say, too, because, you know, that was, you, you heard kind of with Kleiman, and I think even uh, maybe Colin Klein had mentioned this uh, also as well, but they knew that this wasn't going to be a huge quarterback run game. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, I, I'm curious to how it would have looked had Adrian Martinez been able to play. Uh, I, I was not able to, to get into the stadium um, to watch warm-ups, but uh, from kind of some things I was hearing is that, uh, that Adrian really was having some trouble throwing the ball a little bit still, just being able to push off get the ball downfield far enough. So, you know, I, I think here's, here's what I'm going to go. And I'm, and I'm going to ask you who you'd start. I'm just going to ask you right now. Who would you start on Saturday? Will Howard. Okay. And that's because our offense hasn't looked – the three best halves of the season offensively for us are yeah. undeniably uh, the two halves on Saturday and the first half against TCU. Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, you could maybe argue o- Oklahoma, but um, that's – Maybe for the second half of Saturday. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think the highest level the offense has played has been in – when Will Howard's running the show, and whether that's because it's a matter of play calling that they trust that they don't want to run Will Howard as much, so you see us airing it out and taking more yellow shots and that sort of thing, or whether it's Howard's just better at piloting the passing game, and I think, and I think it's the latter. I mean, it's hard, I, and it's kind of hard to believe that, right? It's yes and no because I think the I don't necessarily think Howard's got. A far and away better arm, or he's oh, just I don't a, either. He's I, just, I uh, think Adrian Martinez is a is a better quarterback too than Will Howard. Fair enough, but there's the one element that I think Howard brings that Adrian doesn't is his vision, and especially his vision downfield, because there have been times where you know Malik's been wide open downfield, and Martinez just for whatever reason doesn't see him, and you know we look at. In the Tulane game, for instance, we say, oh, God, our passing game is dead. Um, or why are we throwing so many short routes or, or this or that? But um, I just think Howard's vision is uh, one of the big difference makers and something he he has that Adrian just doesn't have at this level. And obviously Adrian has elements to his game that Will doesn't have. He's a far more dyna- dynamic runner and more creative in the pocket and this and that. But... I think Howard's better at surveying the field. Um, and I think that's why the passing game, why we, against Oklahoma State and, and Texas Christian in the first half, that there were times where Will's finding guys wide open. And being able to do that really punishes the what the defensive coordinators in this conference want to do against Kansas State, which is the recipe for beating K-State, stuff the box. Don't let Deuce run on you cheat the safeties up within seven yards of line of scrimmage and dare whoever uh, to beat you in the passing game. And that's something Will Howard was able to do that Adrian has had, uh, he's been able to do at times. We saw it against Iowa State a couple times. We saw it against OU a couple times, but hasn't been able to do consistently. Um, so I like our offense more uh, with Will back there. And I think that in, in this is especially true if Adrian's not 100%. Because if he can't go on the ground and and be running the ball sure. ten to fifteen times, then uh, then there's not a lot that he gives you that Howard doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's you're you're absolutely right, and it allows you know, I mean, we saw heck, we saw Will Howard go out with an injury against Texas Christian, yep. and you know to have two guys that that you feel pretty good with, I I think that it, it's an interesting. You know, I guess choice that you have to make between Will Howard and Adrian Martinez. 
I don't think really either decision is necessarily wrong based upon your reasoning. Because I think you could, as easily as you made a case for Will Howard, and I think that you made a great case for him, I think you could just as easily make a case for Adrian Martinez. I think you do start Will Howard. I agree with you here against Texas. One, because I think he's healthier. Um, but two, I do think he adds a little bit more of a dynamic uh Threat the past game. You mentioned it. This is the best K State's offense has looked uh, here the last three halves, uh, or or the three halves that, that Will Howard's played. He's he's done really well. I guess really four halves because he's he's played pretty much mo- all, the whole uh, uh, obviously the whole Oklahoma State game and most of the TCU game. But uh, really, I think that it's an easy decision. However, if you know, if he's ineffective early on, and Adrian Martinez says, "Hey, I, I'm 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 good to go. If you, if you need me, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect there to be a whole lot of trepidation in going yeah. back to that. Now, I do not think that there's any chance you'll see like this, like a, a two quarterback system. Like I don't think you need to harken back to the days days of Mark Dunn and L. Roberson. I don't think that's taking place. Alex Dalton, Skylar Thompson. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that that's in the cards here. I think Will Howard will play. I think he'll go start to finish uh, on on uh, Saturday against Texas, and uh, I said here I think last week and I said that I think Will Howard was going to go the distance against Oklahoma State, and I, I think the same is going to be be true here on, on Saturday against Texas. Now, so we're both in agreement that Will Howard is is your man here going forward for Texas. Yeah, I think yeah. so. We're we're both in agreement there. Now, let's go ahead, and we're, we still need to go back and, and kind of talk here about Oklahoma State. But I, and I also, I also will say, like you, I'm not that convicted in that. No. I, if, if, if Adrian Martinez goes out there, and even if he plays poorly, I'm not going to be critical of Kleiman because, I mean, I think it's intelligent minds can differ. on. You know, and the thing is, so we, we put out that poll on TSSO uh, the other day. And holy cow, we got a great response for, from from y'all that are that are following along with us. We've got over sixteen hundred votes, and it, it's pretty much a dead heat. Fifty two percent say Will Howard, forty eight percent say Adrian Martinez. I I don't think I think the only way that this answer is wrong in terms of who you start is whoever you go out and start has a bad game. That's the only way it'll be a wrong decision. And even then, it's like eh, you know, it's hindsight. But exactly. I think I would be more convicted if. Adrian um, is playing not at one hundred percent because I think that yeah, that's and I don't the case, think then what's the point? And I don't think he'll probably be at, truly at one hundred percent for the remainder of the season. Right. If I had to guess, um, that's just a guess. I don't know much about what is exactly wrong with him. I've heard knee, I've heard calf, I've heard well, groin. He, I've if, heard if all he can't utilize things. his full athleticism, sure. Then, then what? Then I think Howard's the option. Sure. But um, if he's 100%, then I think, you know, whatever. Either way. You know, let's talk a little bit about Deuce Vaughn. Uh, 158 yards on 22 carries. You know, he kind of had a little bit of a um, uh, of a little bit of a, uh, a downward spell. He had two tough games, of course, against uh, Iowa State and then uh, against Texas Christian as well. But... Uh, Drew, I just want to ask you, Deuce Vaughn is about to become uh, the second leading rusher all-time at Kansas State. Uh, what do you think of Deuce Vaughn as a player? What, what do you think of? Cool guy. Cool guy? Yeah. That's what I think of. 
Um, but no, you're, to your point, it was a... Uh, by the way, you're hearkening to Brother D. Yes, of course. The, D. Scott. The institution. The institution. My, my man. Big Absolutely. Ups. Great question by D uh, today at the press conference. Um, but no, I think Deuce... Got it was a return to form, if that's yeah. what you want to call it, because yeah. it was backed out to him, um, making highlight plays on, especially on the ground, over 150 yards uh, on the ground, but also a critical third down reception uh, for a touchdown. Yeah, how about that? That yeah. was a that was a nice little play, and you know I was listening to Kleinman's press conference, uh, or actually not his press conference, it was, it was the coach's show with old Wyatt, and uh, he said, you, you remember that play? So it was the same play we ran against LSU last year in the bowl game. It was just the other side. Wow. So how about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like that. That play did, did look very familiar. So that was a very impressive play all around because that yeah. was a really tight window and a fantastic catch. Yeah. Um, and had, so, it could only be thrown in one place, and it was thrown in the right place there. Yeah, quick hitter, no chance for a sack or anything like that because the clock was a clock, factor. Clock, yeah, clock would have been a huge factor there um, for sure. Now, Kleiman did say he was he would have gone for it had they not got it. Because that was a third down. Yeah. Um, he and said then you can run the ball then at that point. You know, yeah. You have to. But, um, but no, I mean, but I I think there's something to be said for Deuce uh, Deuce's role on Saturday and kind of what we talked about earlier, where if K-State's passing game is firing on all cylinders, then I think that clears things up inside. It does. And, and I was also going to say one thing, too, about Deuce Vaughn in the passing game. He seems to be utilized a little bit more by twenty or by uh, Will Howard there. Because uh, I think you look back at, at Will Howard's freshman year, uh, the COVID year, it seemed like the only person he could throw it to was, was Deuce Vaughn out of the backfield. Well, Texas Tech, it was those little arrow routes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I think that Will has much better eyes for Deuce in the passing game. Uh, and maybe it's just a uh, product of just some uh, comfortability with that, um, or and just with some recognition that, uh, hey, what this this has worked before in the past for me. Uh, so I don't know, but anyway, it, it was good to see Deuce get back on track a little bit. Yeah, and you know whether that's just his rapport with with Howard um, or the offensive line just clicking. I mean, but I I really think that a big part of it is that. If the passing game can be reliable, consistent, and especially a vertical threat, then it just relieves some of the pressure inside and allows and makes the offensive line jobs easier, makes Deuce's job easier, and just unclogs part of the you know the, the middle of the field and lets lets running lanes open up. I mean, on Deuce's long run, uh, that hole was a mile wide. Yeah, where he where he cuts yeah. back. And you could see it pre-snap. I was watching the game with uh, Quentin, actually, co-host at last week. You 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 were trying to trying to kind of wind and dine him just so you make sure you yeah, shoot back. Said, yeah, I said, hey, give me a chance here. But before that play, you could look at oh, I. Now I'm tooting my own horn a little bit here, but I turned to Quentin and I said, "There's going to be some room to run here because you can just look at the you can just look at the setup. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you can yep. do that with a lot of plays where it's yep. like." You can kind of guess what's going to happen, or at least you can guess if it's going to be a run or not, just on the defensive alignment there and, and how many guys are in the box. And K-State is usually pretty good about, hey, if there's room to run here, we're going to run if it's a first or second down. Um, and that was one of the situations where it was there. And, um, you know, it was uh, 
he took it, the ball off the left side and he cut back, mm-hmm. and, and that was all she wrote. I don't know that he was even touched. Um, but I think that that's a sneaky element that makes a, a truly balanced offense that much more dangerous. Because if it's Adrian back there, and there's something to be said for a lethal two-figure, two-head rushing attack where you know you have to really respect both options. But if K-State has a consistent, reliable passing game, and especially one that can beat you deep, I think that just augments uh, Deuce's, uh, you know, the insane talent he already has because he's running through more open holes, he's getting downfield and into space quicker, and it makes him, uh, it just really highlights his uh, dynamic abilities. But it, it was certainly great to see him uh, return to form, um, get in the end zone, uh, both on the ground and receiving. You know, the reason why you were able to see that that running play really open up, you know the reason why you were able to see that? What? All the hours you've spent with all 22. Well, yeah. That, that's, that's what it comes down I'm to. I'm a student of the game. That preparation leads to performance. <laughs> that's and, right. And that's, why, and that's what, what you're seeing there. So uh, kudos to you for being able to see that. And, you yeah. know, there were lots of – you know, there were lots of plays that Casey just missed on, too, as you saw. You know, we mentioned Will Swanson. Uh, you know, there are a couple other plays that come to mind where uh, they, they just missed. And, you know, those game were the plays that kind of just missed for us against TCU. Uh, K-State's able to, to make those plays and uh, really have a lot of success uh, here against Oklahoma State. Now, we talked about the, the passing game. Let's get to the receivers. Uh, Malik Knowles. No touchdowns, but he has his uh, career record of eight touchdowns. Eight or eight touchdowns. Eight uh, receptions. Rather. No touchdowns. Eight. be nice if he had eight touchdowns. That'd be a heck of a game. <laughs> That'd be a heck of a game. Uh, eight receptions uh, for 113 yards. Cade Warner, five for 97 yards and two touchdowns. And then Phillip Brooks, two receptions for 41 yards. And he had a nice 31-yard touchdown uh, right down there in the uh, – in, in the south end zone there. And, um, you know, that was another ball that was thrown really well by Will Howard. Um, kind of one of those inside uh, receiver, what they call kind of a slot fade, essentially, with yeah. where you just you drag your guy uh, up there, and if you can get by him with no safety over the top, uh, that's a play that can be made. And, and Will Howard was able to put the ball uh, in, in, uh, in a good spot for him to where he was able to make that catch, and it was a tough catch. Uh, but uh, a little underthrown, looking for the penalty. That's where you want to throw those, though. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, gosh, you know, this wide receiving group, you know, so much of it was, gosh, we just don't have the talent out there. We don't, we don't, have, enough, don't have enough out there. They don't get open. They don't get open. They're not any good. Yeah. We're pretty good on Saturday. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's... I mean, again, it's I, I think a lot of it is a quarterback can make wide receivers look look a lot better, better or worse. Yeah, and uh, I don't want to sound like I'm being too critical of Adrian Martinez because I think Adrian Martinez is a good quarterback. I just think he offers something different um, and a little bit uh, duplicative uh, that or redundant or whatever. Uh, for K State, uh, Will I think that's a good way of putting it. I think it's a really good way of putting it. Well, I mean, K State Deuce Vaughn. K State already has one of the best r- running running threats in the country. Um, 
And if K-State can make defenses respect uh, the passing game too, then it makes receivers look really good. And I think receivers can look really good in this offense, especially with Deuce Vaughn and the respect he garners in the backfield. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think the wide receivers are certainly good enough. Um, and so long as, as defenses are still committing uh, their souls to stopping Deuce Vaughn, then I think they're going to continue to be good enough so long as uh, K-State, as a quarterback, who could find him and get, get him the ball reliably. Yeah, and it was great to see how they kind of used the, the wide receivers in a couple different ways. You saw Malik Knowles, they, they had him on a couple more uh, of the kind of deeper or intermediate routes, uh, using him to stretch the field a little bit more, uh, Philip Brooks as well. Uh, but both, as I mentioned, uh, with, uh, with Knowles and Warner being involved in the screen game, uh, using their strengths kind of all over the place now. So, all right, Dilu, let's let's say for enough of the offense, enough about those guys. Yeah, they scored forty-eight points. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. They gave up a big fat zero. Yeah, against uh, one of the better offenses in the Big Twelve and one of the big, better offenses in the country. And uh, Spencer Sanders, um, clearly not one hundred percent. I think we we had talked about that going into the game. Uh, Quentin and I did. You know, he, he's a guy that is a gamer, though. And he, he certainly went out there and gave it his best. Uh, but really, to me, the story of the game uh, is K-State holding Oklahoma State down all day uh, on, on, on the ground. 30 carries for 54 yards. Uh, Oklahoma State had no chance on the ground. And I think that, they, that you could kind of tell uh, with, with Sanders' health. And just when you saw a couple of passes that he, he flings out there that usually – Kind of, they they look like they were coming out a little bit softer. Yeah, not coming out as as, as firm as he they skipped have. a few balls to receivers. That he uh, yeah, case it, it was fortunate, but um, and it looked like that uh, he wasn't you know making throws they normally would. Uh, with that being said, uh, case it really shut down the running game uh, for Oklahoma State, made Oklahoma State one dimensional. Then of course, once Oklahoma State started really falling behind, and it was down twenty one nothing and twenty eight nothing. Uh, the running game really had to be kind of uh, gone by the wayside at that point, just as they're trying to play, you know, trying to play catch up there. Yeah, I mean, you tell me going into the game on Saturday that Oklahoma State's leading rusher would have 27 yards. Uh, that that's a good sign for Kansas State. You tell me Oklahoma State's leading rusher was Gunnar Gundy, who had 27 yards. Um, that goes even better for Kansas. Yeah, then I'm thinking, oh, K State shut out Oklahoma State. <laughs> like that's a that's a recipe for a shutout. Um, and so it's a huge credit in a game where, you know, going into Saturday, K-State without Khalid Duke uh, for the first half, K-State sure. down its, uh, its linebacker Daniel Green for the entire game, and his status is still a little uncertain. Um, but just a remarkable performance. Even if – and I know that the wide receiver core is thin. I know Spencer Sanders is banged up. I don't care. Yeah, holding anyone – Shutting, I mean, anyone. shutting out, shutting out, uh, anyone, anyone, an FCS school. Um, it's impressive. You can go shut out Jorge State for sixty minutes, and it's impressive. And, and, and you're going to tip your cap, absolutely, and especially where you know this wasn't the K State's reserves played some on Saturday. Granted, against Oklahoma State's reserves, but um, you know, Crew Jackson out there having an incredible day at the office, get a sack and an interception. Um, and to hold a team not just out of the end zone, 
But I don't think Oklahoma State broke the 35-yard line all day. Um, and so they didn't even come close. And, you know, we talk about the run defense, and obviously you know what to expect from Felix. Great day for him. Yeah. I mean, you're getting to the point now where Nate Matlack is uh, maybe not – uh, you know, the star that Felix is and hasn't really got there yet, but at worst, he's a sure hand. Same thing with um, guys like Bob Hintz. Um, Jalen Pickle. Jalen Pickle. Uh, Eli Huggins is a little bit more than just a sure hand. He's a, an yeah, all-conference performer. most definitely. Sure. Um, but Austin Moore, man. I mean, legendary. Truly. I mean, this was a guy where you and I were talking um, in our preseason preview and saying... You know, we need Will Honus to really step up and have a have a great season because we don't want to have to be relying on Austin Moore to be and, and that's not necessarily so much a knock on Austin Moore in terms of like, oh, this guy's not capable of playing at the Big 12. But the linebacking core going into the season was a huge point of concern just because it was pretty thin. Sure. And, and then without a guy that they were seemingly counting on. And that may be true for you. But for me, yeah. I was worried about Austin Moore playing snaps. Period. I, yeah. I mean, if okay. you tell me Austin Moore is going to be playing 60 snaps a game for K-State, I'm thinking, crap, like, we're going to have some issues here. But this guy is, um, he's not just doing an adequate job. Austin Moore is one of the best players on K-State's defense, a defense full of elite talents at every level of the defense. And Austin Moore is absolutely one of the best players on this defense. He's one of the best linebackers in the Big 12 Conference. Most definitely. And that's something, you, you tell me coming into the season that K-State's going to have an all-conference linebacker, and it ain't going to be Will Honus, and it's not going to be Sean Robinson, and it's not even going to be Daniel Green. It's going to be Austin Moore. I'm looking at you like you're from outer space. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that he... Had a pretty good season last year. I didn't have the faith, um, and I didn't believe it. So, may a culpa Austin Moore, because this guy uh, had a terrific game um, and is having a terrific season, and he's in a very, very good player for K-State and a very, very important part of this defense. Well, while we're kind of getting some things off our chest, you, you gave a mea culpa to... Uh, to uh, Austin Moore, I'll, I'll do the same for Will Howard. I won't go. I won't go as. as oh, me too. As as, uh, I mean, I I said just last week I didn't think he was a power five quarterback. Now I think he should start against Texas. So how how quickly how quickly Will Howard's fortunes can change in, in my eyes. And you know who else? Not just Austin Moore. How about Nick Allen? Yeah, I was I was just about to get to him. So how about Nick Allen on Saturday stepping up for the injured Daniel Green, the Blue Valley Tiger. For the injured Will Honus, yeah, the, the out Will Honus, the out Sean Robinson, and Nick Allen, you are getting the start on Saturday, baby. And he comes up, he's K-State's leading tackler, eight tackles on Saturday, and a big reason why Oklahoma State's running game was completely shut down. You know, and I'm going to go back to a guy I just mentioned a little bit before who I think is playing at an all-Big 12 level, and that's Eli Huggins. You know, with K-State's 3-3-5 defense, the nose, the nose tackle, nose guard, whatever you want to call them, defensive tackle position, they are taking up two blockers most of the time. And Eli Huggins has done such a great job 
of letting those linebackers flow and move. I thought Eli Huggins played. I mean, and you're going to look at him. You know, it's it's funny. I've got ESPN pulled up. He doesn't even show up in the box. No. But, 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 his, but his, his performance... His contributions uh, don't show up in the box. Yeah, and, but in terms of, to a man, everyone on that defense says, Eli Huggins is probably the best defensive tackle in the Big 12. Yeah, he's the reason... I mean, he's part of the reason Nick Allen looked good on Saturday. He's part of the reason Austin Morris had such a great season. It's because sure. the, your guards and center can't get to the second level to block him. Um, and so, you're right. He's playing great... Um, but, yeah, K-State's front seven on Saturday played the best game uh, any K-State front seven has played in as long as I can remember. You know, another guy that got into the action a little bit at the linebacking position, and, and we can move on from the linebackers, but uh, Gavin Forche, uh, one and a half tackles for loss uh, on Saturday, led K-State in that regard. Uh, you know, there was going to be some guys that got in uh, just with, with K-State being a little bit banged up. Because, you know, Nick Allen... Uh, and we mentioned him leading the way for K-State with eight tackles. You want to keep those guys fresh. They want to rotate them. Uh, Jake Clifton got in there, uh, yep. Gavin Forche uh, in there as well. So those guys provided not only just a blow for those uh, guys like Austin Moore and Nick Allen, but they're able to go in there and not have a whole lot of drop-off. So huge credit to, to Joe Klanderman. You know, a lot of the talk about what, what K-State's done so far this season is is heaping a lot of praise on Colin Klein, and deservedly so. He's, he's done a nice job here in his first year as an offensive coordinator. But uh, Joe Klanderman, I don't think it's too far behind in terms of what he's done defensively. Uh, I think he's done a really nice job this season. Yeah, and he was in his bag on Saturday. I mean, you can go back and look. K-State was doing a great job of uh, really confusing the defense, or just keeping the defense mixed. Because, uh, you know, there were... Times on Saturday where K-State would totally bring the house and be in Sanders' face immediately upon the snap. Um, there were times on Saturday where K-State would rush three and just send eight into coverage and say, okay, find a spot, and there's nothing there. Um, and so, you know, K-State was playing man-to-man. K-State was playing zone. And it was really just a good job of, um, you know, making the defense as complex with, with the post-snap uh, stuff and, and really just making life hard on Spencer Sanders just to get comfortable back in the pocket. Um, and so, yeah, it's a huge credit to Joe Klanderman. Um, and really the, the last piece of this defense we haven't talked about is Casey's secondary, which, yeah. again, I mean, at this point, Echo and Brents are both lockdown corners. I mean, they just are when Brents isn't pulling up with a blown hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those guys, I think I'd put either, I think I would put K State's cornerbacks up against any in the conference in terms of, I don't think I would trade K State's corners for any other two corners in the conference. Um, and so those guys, I thought, played terrific on Saturday, too. I mean, you know, we, we talk about the run defense, but even through the air, Oklahoma State was completely hapless on Saturday, which is a credit to. Not only uh, the secondary, but also the pass rush. Holding Spencer Sanders to under 150 yards passing is uh, no small feat, even with the uh, wide receiver situation at Oklahoma State. I mean, against Texas, Sanders throws for almost 400 yards. Yeah, and they were airing the ball out against Texas seemingly most of the game. And and Oklahoma State's not able to run the ball as well as they have, especially last year. But... 
defense was all over the place. Uh, another guy I want to mention that uh, I thought maybe goes a little bit under the radar, and, and he was in the right place at the right time on that fumble recovery, Brendan Mott. Uh, he's yeah. been he's been a really nice uh, depth piece to to get those guys fresh uh, in, in keeping Felix Andrukeizama uh, fresh, keeping Khalid Duke. Uh, you, you know, with him being out in the first half, you know, you have to go maybe a little bit deeper in that rotate, or a, that rotation is not maybe as deep in that first half. Uh, it did not seem to matter for K State on Saturday. So a great uh, defensive performance. Anything else you want to add on the defense here? Dylan? No, I, I think he might be shortchanging uh, Brendan Mott a little bit. Um, I mean, I think he's better than a, a – and I'm not saying that there, that was a slight, but I, th- I don't think he's just a solid death piece for K-State. I mean, I think he is one of K-State's best pass rushers. Sure. I mean, I think that reliably, you probably call Felix, Khalid Duke, when he's been able to be on the field. Um, but Brendan Mott finds himself – uh, in the backfield, hurrying quarterbacks and getting home um, as often as anybody not named Felix on the team. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yeah, and for him to recover a fumble 35 yards down, 30, down 30 yards downfield is just impressive, and it's a credit to K-State's coaching, really, that you have K-State defensive linemen trailing the play to get back downfield trying to, you know, pursue a wide receiver. I mean, that's that's just a product of hustle and coaching. Yeah. I mean, no, it is. It absolutely is. And that's coached. Well, too. yeah, and yeah. I think that it's really easy for these, like, cynical college football fans to kind of roll their eyes when coaches talk about effort and discipline and hustle. Well, effort and discipline and hustle, what that looks like is a defensive end recovering a fumble 30 yards downfield. 100%. And Brock Heward said that on the broadcast is, you know, when, when you're – when uh, Austin Moore punches that ball out from behind and, and Mott's there to recover, he's like, look at all the silver helmets around. Uh, you've got you've got three or four guys that are there to, to, to pick up that ball. And uh, that is, like you said, a, a something that's coached. It is rallying to the ball, following the ball, and, and hustling after it. And uh, a, a huge credit there to, to everyone on the K-State defense, uh, even when – you know, K-State's playing twos and threes later on in the game. You saw some of that same uh, same uh, flying around, that same effort. Uh, it, it was not just, uh, you know, just the guys that are, are the, the starting 11. It was it was well throughout the roster there. So huge uh, tip of the hat there to the K-State defense. Also, I have to talk about uh, the kicking game. Yeah. Ty Zetner comes in, uh, very solid. Uh, he handled all the kicking, really, uh, on Saturday with uh, kickoffs, punting, and place kicking. And did a hell of a job with it. None of the kicks on Saturday gave, made me nervous. I think they no. all looked pretty darn true. And, uh, you know, it's a small sample size, but K-State may have found a kicker. Yep, I think so. And there was a little bit of talk uh, in uh, in Kleinman's uh, press conference that, that Tennant might have been a little bit beat up, but that he might be able to kick maybe a long field goal if it was uh, asked on. Uh, here against Texas here and, and, and throughout the rest of the season, um, we'll see about that. I think I think uh, Ty Zetner has really uh, hopefully solidified that aspect of the game for K State. Well, and that's interesting that they would bring Tennant in for long field goal. Isn't hasn't Zetner been the place kicker, like on kickoffs for? Oh yeah, he yeah he's been the kickoff guy, but I don't know. It strikes me as odd that it might be a little bit of lip service. Yeah, maybe so. But um, anyway. Heck of a game from Ty Zetner. Heck of a game from all three phases. Well, and you had the long, 
punt return from Philip Brooks. Yep, absolutely. Um, and so yeah, like like I said, there's you look back on this game and you're like, I there's you know coaches sometimes talk about how they kind of like when in these non-conference games that there's uh, it's imperfect because then they can kind of criticize and come down on their team and actually do some coaching and offer some pointers. But on Saturday, I mean, there's just nothing there. I mean, there's there's not a single position group you can look at and say, you guys didn't play a great game. I mean, unless you're going to be ultra hard on, like, the tight ends for Will Swanson's drop. Sure. But, um, no, I mean, offensive line, good job. Defensive line, good job. Quarterback, good. Running back, wide receiver. Yeah. Linebackers, secondary. I mean, it's, like, everybody, great game. Adam boys for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, in a game that uh, K-State wins 48 nothing. Uh, one of my favorite K-State games here in the last number of years where where it was a uh, great crowd. Crowd was into it. Great uh, great day for a ball game. And uh, a big test, though, here on Saturday against the Texas Longhorns, which we're about ready to get to here. But K-State wins 48-0 over Oklahoma State. Uh, and they move now to four and one in league play, six and two overall, and have sole possession of second place in the Big Twelve. So, let's get to Texas. Yeah. This kind of is the last of the three that we looked at as the real kind of gauntlet. But I'm not counting out Baylor here just next week, of mm-hmm. course. But let's 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 first look at Texas here, and then at. West Virginia, which ain't, yep. ain't a walk in the park, but yep. sure, let's let's talk Texas. Let's talk Texas. Now, this is a Texas team that had the week off last week, get get a week to kind of get healthy, uh, which everyone's you know hoping to do at this time of the season. Do a little self scout, and this Texas team three and two in league, five and three overall, losses to um, Oklahoma State and. Uh, to Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Now that's a that's a, a this is a team right now though, with what they're seeing here kind of throughout the rest of their schedule is they have a lot of opportunity here. They're they're still any team that has two losses, right now they're still well in the thick of of the uh, of the Big Twelve title race, and Texas has to feel you know, that they're in pretty good shape here as well. So, Dila, when we look at this Texas Longhorns team, I think you have to look first at Bijan Robinson. Uh, kind of the all everything back for the Longhorns and uh, an offense that has been pretty explosive uh, at times here throughout the, throughout the conference play uh, schedule. Uh, they, you know, they've put up. I'm looking here through through their through their games here in conference play. 24 points against Iowa State was their low number, but they scored 34 against Oklahoma State, 49 against Oklahoma, 38 uh, against West Virginia, 34 against Texas Tech. This is a team that is going to be tough to tough to stop offensively, but with the way K State's playing defensively, you feel like this is a, a going to be another good test for this K State defense. Yeah, and it's a you know prior to last week, my real uh, trepidation about K State's defense was the run defense, just because like we talked about going into the Texas Christian game, it, it's K State's run defense has looked pretty leaky at times. Uh, there were times against Texas Tech where it looked leaky, uh, times against Oklahoma where it looked leaky, and those two teams just didn't commit to the run game. And then we saw against TCU, a team that uh, was more than happy to just 
run the football. Uh, the K-State defense looked uh, leaky as putting it charitably against the Horned Frogs. Uh, last week, um, one of the best performances run defense-wise K-State's had probably since the Texas game back in 1999, where they had that terrific performance against Ricky Williams. Um, but this is probably the best rushing attack K-State uh, will face all year in Bijan Robinson, who is, I mean, every bit the back uh, talent-wise is Deuce, Deuce Vaughn, maybe one of the best running backs in the country, um, and just a handful. He's big and powerful and very fast and can torture you. And, or and can he can do smash it. it. And he can do it in, like you said, in a number of ways. Between the tackles, they use him in the pass game as well. Uh, it, he is like the prototypical kind of like what you look for in an NFL running back. He's like, yeah, he's like, my best comparison is like a souped up Alex Barnes or a souped up Josh Scope. Just one of those big, you know, all just brawny backs who have, who could fly. Sure. Um, and you're right. They do use them in the passing game too. They'll split them out on and run them on wheel routes and and make it really hard for a linebacker to keep up with them. Um, and so, all that to say, K State has a problem because Texas will fully be prepared to run the ball between Dijon uh, or any of their other backs. Yeah, um, Roshan Johnson, another good one. Uh, Robinson and Johnson, two guys that that uh, K State will see a lot of on Saturday. I want to get a little bit to uh, to the trigger man for the Longhorns, Quinn Ewers. It's a guy I've watched a little bit this season. I've watched a lot, a yeah, lot of it. Okay. And you know, in my scout of him, he stays awful cool back there in in the pocket, and he will make some kind of. Gutsy throws into traffic that could easily be intercepted. Uh, but then there are some times where he just doesn't look like he's really on the same page uh, with, uh, with, with with his wide receivers. And he kind of hangs the ball out there a, a couple times. There's There's been several times I've seen him play. And he, he's got 11 touchdowns to five interceptions here on the season. There are a couple times I, I think that he could easily have – about 11 interceptions, too. Uh, and he, he had a really shaky game against Oklahoma State uh, his most recent time out. But a guy that has a lot of talent. What do you see kind of here with uh, Quinn Ewers as the trigger man for, for this Texas offense? I don't really know what to make of him. Um, because he's had games where, you know, I mean, against Oklahoma in that blowout against Oklahoma's poor defense, he goes 21-31 for 290 yards. Uh, four touchdowns, one interception. Pretty pretty good day at the office. Iowa State, um, he goes uh, 17 of 26 for 172 yards, three touchdowns, but not really anything too dynamic there. Um against Oklahoma State, he looked really, really bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, not like uh, he's having um, an off day or, or, or Oklahoma State just played incredible defense. He looked really bad. He looked like a really bad quarterback against Oklahoma State. And part of that's because Oklahoma State's got a pretty good defense. Uh, played, you know, at least at that point in the season, everyone was pretty high on the Oklahoma State defense. 
Um, but I was watching that game. Some of the decisions he was making, some of the throws. I mean, even we haven't talked about Xavier Worthy yet. Yep. Fantastic wide receiver. Yep. Um, but he and Xavier Worthy were getting into it on the sideline, just not yep. on the same page with yep. anybody. And the announcers were talking about it like, what is going on here? And it looked like he looked like somebody completely different than the guy who played against Oklahoma. But his last two games, um, one of which was in Austin against Iowa State, he's looked ordinary. And that is um, being nice. Uh, because against Oklahoma State, he looked terrible. I mean, he looked like the worst quarterback in the Big 12 against Oklahoma State. And so I think that's really kind of the X factor here because uh, if if Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy in the passing game are firing on all cylinders, then this Texas offense is really, really scary because you have to worry about that and Bijan Robinson. And there's not many defenses in the country who are built to, to maintain – that sort of defensive balance. Um, so in my mind, the, the X factor for Saturday, I mean, I think Bijan Robinson is a known quantity. He's a handful. Uh, Xavier Worthy, known quantity, handful. But what really make takes this Texas offense from good to great is when Quinn Ewers is on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's really what the question is, whether – They've gotten um, kind of a get-right by by week um, and figured out whatever's been plaguing their issues passing the ball against Iowa State and Oklahoma State. And if if they fix that, then K-State's defense is going to have a really hard time. Because what do you do? I mean, I I think K-State's defense is good, maybe great. Um, But if you have a very good passing offense paired with the best running back in the country, then, you know, Pick your poison. Sure, sure, absolutely. But, but if you have the best running back in the country with a guy that with a passing offense piloted by the guy who played against Oklahoma State, it makes it a little simpler. And so I think that's what a lot of K State's defensive success is going to come down to on Saturday. And that's whether uh, Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, uh, but really just Quinn Ewers, um, what what their performance looks like. You know, and you have to realize that this is his first real action starting. Uh, he, he went in the Quinn Ewers story. It's kind of fascinating to begin with. A much ballyhooed uh, high school recruit out of the state of Texas goes to Ohio State. Uh, sits. I mean, he 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 plays a, a few little mop up uh, action out there. He signs like a million dollar NIL uh, deal out there. He transfers back home to Texas uh, here this year, and uh, there was a lot of talk. Was he going to even start the season? Uh, there was all sorts of controversy behind that, if you remember. And he has looked good at times, not so good here recently. And I want to bring up a point is uh, before the Iowa State game, there was, you know, the analytics that said, you know, when with Texas, this Texas offense, when, when uh, Ewers has been in, in, in the mix, has been more prolific than the Ohio State offense, which is widely uh, regarded as one of the top offenses. Now, I think Tennessee may have passed them uh, a little bit with their play. But uh, this this Texas offense, when Quinn Ewers has been, when he's been humming, has been one of the best in the country. And uh, now with a, a little bit more film on the guy uh, and also just having him 
uh, maybe show a little bit uh, of some of the warts that he that he still has as a young quarterback. Some of these defenses have really gotten in on him. And, you know, you look at what he did against Iowa State, I think that's kind of an interesting uh, an interesting case study. Because Iowa State, for, for all the struggles they're having this year, has a, has a very solid defense. Uh, as does K-State. And, and, and that was a game that he really struggled in. So I'll be anxious to see kind of what Quinn Ewers you see. Because if, if, it's, uh, if it's the good Quinn Ewers, K-State's going to have their hands full. If uh, it's been the Quinn Ewers we've seen the last two weeks against Oklahoma State and Iowa State, you know, Texas might be having some issues. Well, yeah, and one other thing to keep an eye on, Oklahoma State, Quinn Ewers' first true road game. Yep, yep. So Saturday will be Quinn Ewers' second true road game, and what will be every bit as hostile an environment as Oklahoma State was. Uh, night game in, in Manhattan. Harley Day. Harley Day in Manhattan. That's a great point by you. Um, I was at the gym today, I'm, and this is 100% true. I was at the gym today. Guy come, yeah, I'm wearing this this K State uh, long sleeve T shirt. He comes up to me, he says, "You're gonna need to update that T shirt because it's a big old title T shirt." Yeah. He says, "You're gonna need to update that one." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, I, I certainly would like to do that. I, I, I certainly hope to do that." And he said, "You know, he asked, are you gonna be at the game?'" I said, "Yes, I will be." He's like, "Night game, Harley Day. That doesn't happen very often." I said, you're right, it doesn't happen very often. I can't remember the last time we've had a nighttime Harley Day. Well, and it only ever happens once a year. Tops. True. And so, True. Um, but no, I mean, all that, this was just a convoluted way of you to mention to the listeners that you were at the gym today, wasn't it? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but, no, all I have to say is I think, um, you know, Ewers obviously looks like a world beater against Oklahoma. Uh Looks pretty darn good against Alabama in his limited action in that yep. game. Yep. Um, and, well, I, that's it. Yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> I, yeah. mean, I mean, we're talking about three halves of football, two of which were against Oklahoma, where Quinn Ewers has really been uh, firing on all cylinders here because he didn't play against Western, Western Virginia. He did not play against uh, UTSA. And yep. so, really, you know, unless we're counting, putting a lot of stock into the Louisiana Monroe performance, um, half his season has, has been against Oklahoma State and Iowa State. And that, those games haven't been good. And against Oklahoma State, like I said, just to belabor the point, he looked really bad. Yep. Missing easy throws and just obviously on a different page. And maybe they get all that figured out and it's a return to form this Saturday against what I think is a really good K-State defense. But probably not. I mean, it's hard to fix, to make that big of a fix in a week, especially when you're going against a really talented secondary and Felix in the backfield too. So, um, but that's my X factor for Saturday is what, what Quinn Ewers looks like. Um, and I think that'll determine a lot of how K-State obviously looks defending the pass, but I think it's also going to impact how K-State uh, can kind of contain Bijan Robinson and how much attention they can afford to devote to him. Um, and uh, and if, if Quinn Ewers looks bad, I don't think Texas gets to 20 points. And if that's the case, I think K-State wins fairly comfortably. Sure. Um, if Quinn Ewers looks good, then this Texas offense – Put up 35-40, and then it's all bets are off, and, and K-State's offense is going to have to score that much. Um, 
But that, that is my overarching X factor because, like I said, I think the other elements of this Texas offense are, are kind of known quantities at this point. You know, it, it, Quinn Ewers is certainly an X factor, but for me the biggest X factor in this game is the K-State offensive line. Uh, you're going up against the defense right now in the Big 12 that is uh, by yards per play the best in, in the, uh, the Big 12 in-conference play. Uh, averaging, giving up an average of 4.8 yards per play. Uh, this Texas defense is pretty darn good, and their defensive line with what they all, with what they have up there, some really good players. Uh, you go up and down that defensive line, uh, you know, and then their linebackers, Jalen Ford, Demari Novershawn. Uh, this this defensive line is really what I think is probably going to be the best defensive line that K-State's faced so far this season. And for K-State to have success, they're going to have to run the ball. I don't think that's any 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 stretch uh, of the imagination there. But, you know, does K-State able to use some more of that pass game to open up some some of those running lanes like we, we had talked about here previously? I think that's going to be a, a, a have to for, for K-State. And... This defensive line and this defense for Texas, uh, I think it's the best one that K-State's probably played year to date, and uh, it's going to be a big challenge for K-State. I think the Iowa State defensive line is better, um, but we're talking margins here, and um, you know, it's not like K-State had a great day running against Iowa State. Either. No. And so... You're going to uh, have to score more than 10 points. But, right. It depends on what Quinn you were Yeah, it's like the mob is, you know, but, cranking up there. Um, Tim is more than enough. Yeah, I, I think I think the recipe for K State running the ball is is just whether K State can pass. And I it it sounds um, you know I mentioned this to Quentin on Saturday. I said K State has to. Uh, you hear a lot of people say, "Oh, you got to establish a run." K State has to establish the pass because. Teams for the last, as long as Deuce Vaughn's been here, it's, we can't let Deuce Vaughn beat us. We'll do every, if, if K-State can beat us through the air, we'll take it. But we cannot let Deuce Vaughn beat us. And what we saw on Saturday is K-State coming out, throwing the ball on first down a fair amount, lining up empty backfield a fair amount. And, yeah. and just not being afraid to say, no, we are um, comfortable throwing the ball. And if you don't respect us, we're going to make you pay for it. And that's exactly what they did to TCU in the first half. It's what they did to uh, Oklahoma State, especially in the first half. Um, and once that happens, then it becomes a pick-your-poison opportunity for Texas. And I don't, I don't really care how good or bad the, the front seven is on any given team. If you can devote eight guys within seven yards of the line of scrimmage then you're probably not going to be able to run against very many teams, regardless of how talented or big or fast or strong front seven is. And and that's true for Iowa State, and it's true for, for Texas, and it's true for TCU and Texas Tech and, and all these. Um, and so I think if K-State's able to uh, get in the bag and you know really use the full field uh, like we saw on Saturday and against Texas Christian in the first half, then I think... Um, you know, there's there's going to be room inside to run, and so I I really think K State's success running the ball depends on K State's success passing the ball, and uh, that's just I I think that's true because you know I talked about Bijan Robinson's an own quantity. Well, so is Deuce Vaughn, sure. and so and I think the offensive line 
uh, is finally, you know, we saw on Saturday, they're finally starting to open up some holes. They opened up some holes against TCU. Um, and I just think that the running game looks a lot better when the box isn't so congested. And I think the box being congested is a product of how well K-State's offense is, what K-State's passing game is going. I want to kind of just look at this game simply. I think a lot of it comes down to is who do you have more faith in playing a good game on Saturday, Quinn Ewers or Will Howard? Yeah. I, I think that really might be where the game is won and lost. Yeah. And, you know, that's probably an overly simple way of looking at it. But, but, I think, but, I, but it's right. Because it, offensively, these two teams are not that different when Will Howard's back there. Fair? No, no, I think that's fair. Yeah, 100%. They both want to do the same thing. They both have two All-American they both have an All-American running back. And if it were up to them, if it were up to each coach, they just hand the ball off to the running back 35 times and let him run for 250 yards and that would be the end of that. But both defenses are aware of that and are going to put pressure on the opposing quarterback to beat him. And so you say who which quarterback has a better day, but also which secondary has a better which corners can hold up against wide receivers. And so uh, we'll, we'll see. But I, but I think you're right that whichever quarterback is, is more efficient on Saturday passing the ball, the, their team's probably going to win. And I'll go even further. How about this? I think whichever quarterback has a better day passing the ball, the running back, likewise, will have as good of a day running the ball. I think that's probably fair to say, 100%. So... I think really when you look at this game and when you're kind of trying to handicap it a little bit, it's, you know, Texas coming off a of bye week, have, have some chance to kind of iron out some things that haven't been going well for them, especially in their, in their most recent outing against uh, Oklahoma State. But with K-State, I mean, with the way Will Howard's playing right now, you have to have a lot of, you have to have a lot of, um, you have to have a lot of confidence really with what you've seen out of him over the last game and a half. And uh, I'll be very interested to see because I think that's where this game comes down to is quarterback play. You know, who doesn't maybe turn the ball over? Uh, I know. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily. I mean, what's the the over under on this game uh, for K State and Texas is at fifty four and a half points. So you're looking at like a you know thirty one twenty four type game, something like that, uh, where where maybe a uh, a special teams play, or uh, you know, the kicking game comes into the mix here. Uh, but I think really what it comes down to, who plays? Who, what do you get at the quarterback position from from K State uh, and Will Howard in Texas with Quinn Ewers? I think that's where you look at this matchup, and uh, I think I'm ready to give a pick. Yeah, me too. Fire away. I think uh, Robinson. He's a handful. I think uh, Texas passing game. Can be a handful when it's clicking. I think I've made that clear. I think Ewers looks better than he did against Oklahoma State, but still not uh, a world beater. Certainly not the world beater that played against Oklahoma. Um, I'm going to say 31-30 to 30 Kansas State on a last-second Ty Zentner field goal as the clock expires. Kind of some shades of that 2002 K-State Texas game. Oh, don't remind me. A night game too for the Bill. Yeah. Um. All right. So 31-30 for Delhi, Kansas State. Although I think that one was 14 to 17. 
Yeah, a little bit, a little bit lower score. Yeah, in that one. But uh, Dell, I'm also going to pick Kansas State this one. Yeah, I'm picking Kansas State to win this game, thirty to twenty-four. So I, I like K State in this one, and what I think it comes down to, Will Howard at home, a raucous Fort Snyder. Yeah. Rattles this Texas team, and K-State is able to make enough plays in the past game with Will Howard, and is able to keep uh, this, this Texas offense off balance uh, with, with what I think is now really kind of getting into it is I think it's probably, I don't think there's any question, a top three defense in the Big 12, uh, but maybe the best defense in the Big 12. And uh, I look for Felix and UK Zama to have a big game. I also look to see what we might be able to get King Daniel Green give it a go. Uh, and it might not be for 45 snaps. It might just only be for 15 or 20. But uh, giving him a, a little bit of, um, of run here would be great to see. Don't know if that's necessarily in the cards uh, for Daniel Green on Saturday. But that's something that uh, I think is something to keep an eye on. But I like K-State in this one, 30-24. I like it. So we both have K-State rolling to purple on Saturday. Most definitely. And that would be a big game, a big win for Kansas State, because that would really distance themselves from the rest of the pack in the Big 12 uh, to, to get one of the two spart- spots in Arlington the first week of December. So uh, we both see K-State getting it done. Uh, D'Lo, anything else you want to add here on this K-State-Texas game? No, I think it'll be fascinating. Um, you know, I we said it after the Tulane game, and we said it after the Oklahoma game, and I think it bears repeating now that you're never – quite as good or as bad as you think. And, and, um, you know, following the big high, like the win over Oklahoma State was, I think it's easy for fans and especially for myself to kind of have a short memory and remember the performance against Oklahoma State and think, oh, Oklahoma, we smoked Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State beats Texas. So it, it, follow, it, yeah. it follows that um, K-State should have no problem with Texas. But uh, I think everybody is probably going to come down to earth some. Will Howard's probably going to not look like the Heisman contender he looked um, for three out of the last four halves. And uh, the defense might shockingly give up a touchdown. Um, but all that to say, I think K-State is still a pretty darn good football team. And I think they're the better team on Saturday, especially at home. I like it. I like it. Well, that'll do it here for the Oklahoma State review and the Texas preview. Uh, Once again, those predictions uh, for Dell, 31-30 Kansas State. For me, 30-24 Kansas State. So that'll do it here uh, for the Oklahoma State review and Texas preview. After a short break, we'll be back to highlight another in the long line of Wildcat Legends, answer your questions in the Ask the Icon segment. And also, folks, we're going to have a little bit of a new segment here. You Stay tuned to find out what that is here on the Short Side Option. Short Side Option, we're back. You're listening to DLU. You're listening to the Icon. And Icon, we're going to get into a segment now that we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, this week's Wildcat Legend was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay, but then he moved to Texas. Played high school football at Thomas Jefferson High in Port Arthur, Texas. Well, Tom Jeffy. 
Now, he didn't come to K-State immediately. No, this man came to Kansas State by way of Blinn Community College. Now, you might be thinking, I know a guy who went to Blinn Community College. His name was Michael Bishop. That's right. You might also be thinking, I know another guy who went to Blinn Community College. Cam Newton. Walker Legend in Cam Newton today. It's not, it's not Cam Newton. Could have been. Could have been. In a different reality. But no, this young man was a running back. Okay? And he committed to play for Kansas State. But he didn't commit to Chris Kleinman. He didn't commit to the legend. This man committed to Ron Prince. Okay. Um, at Blinn, he received some accolades. Including first team All American for the National Junior College Athletic Association. He was also the offensive MVP for the Southwest Junior College Football Conference, both in 2004. Okay. Thoughts? I've got a couple guys that I'm thinking of here. Okay. Would you like me to go on? Continue on, please. His career-high rushing performance came in 2007 against the University of Missouri. In In that game... In in which year? 2004? 2007. 2007. Okay. In that game, he had 22 carries for 172 yards. He... Had one career receiving touchdown. It came in 2006 against the University of Texas. Okay. Who are you thinking? I think it's James Johnson. It is James Johnson. It's a good job by me. It's a good job by you, sir. James Johnson. Heck of a running back. Heck of a running back. Played uh, a lot of football for K-State. He was only here for two years. uh, But finished um, over the 2006 and 2007 season... Had uh, seven 100 rushing yard performances. I mentioned the performance against Missouri in 2007, where he ran for a staggering 172 yards. That is a heck of a performance. 7.8 yards per carry. But the week before in Nebraska in 2007, a game K State fans might not remember because it was one to forget. But nonetheless, Game Johnson runs for 129 yards in that game on only 16 carries. Um, in just an efficiency machine, really. Uh, but really, his two best games were uh, well, two great games he had against were against Missouri. Because um, in 2006, he ran the ball 20 times for 127 yards. Um, in that 2006 Texas game, which what a game, what a 45 game. to 42. Who can forget? Um, really, the probably the pinnacle of Ron Prince's career at K State was that 2006 Texas game. Um, that is when his stock was certainly the highest. Uh, not a great night for James Johnson. 10 carries for only 29 yards. But I did mention that he had a, a pretty darn good night receiving the ball. Uh, three receptions for 55 yards, including a touchdown. Um, so, uh, finished at K-State uh, running the ball 270 times for over 1,500 yards. Um, that includes 14 career rushing touchdowns in the aforementioned single receiving touchdown that came in 2006 against the Longhorns. Uh, went on to have a, a pretty nice little professional career. 
uh, had stints uh, with the Bengals twice, actually. Played for them um, in the 2008 season. Saw action in the last two games of the 2008 season for the Bengals. Carrying the ball nine times for 29 yards. Catching six passes for 47 yards. Um, Later on, he went to the Minnesota Vikings um, and was on the practice squad. I remember him for the Bengals a little bit, yeah. And he had a second stint with the Bengals, which I mentioned, uh, where he was signed and eventually uh, released on waivers. Uh, Then finally finished his career with the Green Bay Packers uh, on their practice squad in 2010. Um, So, not not a terrible little... Stint in the uh, in the big time, but uh, I think you know that offense in two thousand six and two thousand seven. I mean, you got Jordy, you got Josh Freeman, who, by the way, I mentioned Freeman. He ought to be on the Ring of Honor. There is no good reason for him not to be on the Ring of Honor. And people will say, well, he didn't win that many games. You know, there's a lot of guys on that Ring of Honor that didn't win very many games for K State. That's true. Um, so something to chew on, but it's that's a glaring omission that other than just sour grapes about Prince and all that, Josh Freeman deserves to be on that Ring of Honor. Wow, beating the table for Josh Freeman here. I like it. Well, yeah, during the Wildcat Legend, no less. But I mean, the guy has the stats. No question about it. You know. Jordy Nelson played for Ron Prince, too. True. Jordy Nelson didn't win very many games while he was at K-State. Also true. Yeah. The same. Uh, your, <laughs> I mean, your point is well made there. No. Local guy. Maybe he hasn't been the best ambassador for K-State since he's been gone, but a lot of guys on that ring of honor haven't been great ambassadors for K-State since they've been gone. Just, just throwing that out there. The guy's got a lot of passing yards. He's propelled a lot of K-State records. I can't really think of a good reason that he's not up there. Nonetheless, let's get back to James Johnson. Great running back for K-State. Can really do it all. Uh, had speed. Uh, you know, I mentioned that 2006-2007 offense. I mentioned Josh Freeman. I mentioned Jordy Nelson. I mentioned James Johnson. Leon well, Patton. Yep. Yeah, don't sleep on him either. No. And that's not. not. A, no, I'm not stumping for him to get on the ring of honor. Though. Okay. Um, no. <laughs> but uh, certainly that K-State offense... Uh, while Freeman was at the helm, was very good. And it's, you know, Freeman and Jordy get a lot of the, the recognition. But guys like uh, James Johnson certainly added a, a dynamic to some of those potent K-State offenses that I think are overlooked a little bit. And James Johnson has the numbers to back it up. Yeah, you know, James Johnson, I think, really when you look at, if there was an all-underrated team, uh, he'd be on it for me. Uh, I think he's a guy that gets lost in the wash. I and mean, granted, he was only here for, for his two years, uh, having mm-hmm. transferred from uh, Blinn Junior College, as you so eloquently had mentioned uh, in that nice rundown. I look at what James Johnson did at, at K-State, and I look at what he, he provided this offense. Kind of a, really, a, a, a jack-of-all-trades kind of running back. I mean, diminutive in size, but uh, was effective in between the tackles, effective catching the ball on the backfield. Really kind of a complete package there at the running back position and uh, really did a great job for K-State. Absolutely. And uh, for a guy who doesn't get as, as much recognition, you know, this Wildcat Legend segment, we do a lot of guys who got a lot of value at K-State, okay? Um, we do. I mean, a lot of these guys are household names. 
James Johnson, I think, is somebody who's overlooked a little bit, which is why James Johnson is this week's Wildcat legend. And as I was talking there, I remembered that Josh Freeman left early. Did so it. maybe that has something to do with it. Because, like, Terry Pierce isn't up there. Nope, he's not. And so maybe that's the... Uh, is, is there anybody who left early that's up there? I believe Terrence Newman left early. I don't know that he did. He definitely did. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, well, something to nosh on there for, for all these Wildcat fi- uh, fans listening at home here. <laughs> or on the road or wherever they listen to. Well, I can't... Um, I want to get, you, you kind of teased a new segment here. I did. And let's just hop into it. This is a segment we've dubbed Babbling About Brands. That's right. And the short side option, um, you know, we spent a lot of time grinding film, kind of breaking down the, the ins and outs of, of the science of the football, the sweet science of football. Of course. Um, but you know what? We're... Also, a couple guys who just love a good brand. Yeah, we love brands. Um, well, I think we're probably the preeminent Big 12 podcast focused on brands at this point. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and what better avenue than a K-State podcast to talk brands? Because, I mean, you and I have been talking for weeks off the air about just how impressive K-State's brand is. Yes, uh, And the been. reach it has and its ability to really just attract eyeballs. Mm-hmm. That when That's people right. see the Power Cat, they associate that with big time college sports, and especially lately, big time college football. No question. Um, we tweeted uh, from the Short Side Option podcast uh, account at tsso underscore podcast, kind of highlighting the staggering numbers um, that Kansas State versus Oklahoma State received on the air on Saturday, um, and I, I think that's just a testament. To, to kind of, uh, well, just the reach of K-State's brand. Yeah, it, the power of the power cap, if you will. That's extremely well said. I mean, you mentioned it, uh, the, the Twitter account mentioned it, K-State versus Oklahoma State pulls in 3.38 million eyeballs. That's with an M, folks. Yeah, million with an M. Um, and so... I just think, you know, it's it's a testament to Powercat Snyder. No question. It's a testament to uh, Chris Kleiman. 100%. It's a testament to guys like James Johnson. Absolutely. Um, who have spent the better part of the last three decades now um, building up this K-State brand into a bona fide powerhouse. Um, and so you and I talked about it a little bit earlier but let's do a rundown of the brands in the post-Oklahoma-Texas Big 12. Kind of just, let's go bottom to top. Sure. And list where we think each brand stacks moving forward. Um, and this may be controversial, maybe not. I mean, frankly... I don't really see much controversy in it. When we, when we compared our rankings, uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, kind of... Uh, Discrepancies maybe about where we think of a, the the lower and the middle class, but I think the top of the uh, of the uh, top of the brand power uh, I think is pretty clear. We're we're pretty darn close, and listeners can feel free to weigh in uh, on Twitter by tweeting at tsso underscore podcast. Um, but let's just run it down here, Icon. 
Um, so there's 12 teams after Oklahoma and Texas depart the conference and the, the newcomers come in. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you see as the 12th most powerful brand in the new Big 12? I have it as the Houston Cougars. Yeah, me too. It's a brand that I think uh, people associate with mid-major um, and kind of lower-level college football. Although, getting it done on the hardwood as a Yes. Player. Yes. Uh, a Final Four team just a, a few years back, Kelvin Sampson, uh, certainly has that program going in the right direction. Uh, possibly a brand on the rise uh, here as they get into the Big 12, uh, and they kind of distance themselves from that mid-major uh, branding that they that they have been associated with for so many years, uh, but uh, a chance for that Houston brand to really uh, get re-energized, no question about it. Okay, very good. So we each have Houston at twelve. At number eleven, who do you got? I've got the Iowa State Cyclones uh, as my number eleven brand in the new Big Twelve. Yeah, I think that's clear too. Um, Iowa State, uh, you know, this season people associate the brand with. Really, just putrid offense, mm. and that's not and that's not where you want your brand to be at. You know, we, we you and I both said Houston brand on the rise, Iowa State brand on the fall, on the man. decline, and that's 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 a trajectory of a brand that you don't like to see. <laughs> you don't like seeing that. You don't like seeing that. You like seeing those arrows going up, not 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 down. Yep. So tough uh, tough year here for Matt Campbell. Iowa State still fighting for bowl eligibility, uh, but. You know, we'll see what uh, what takes place here in the, in the coming weeks. At number ten, who do you have? At number ten, I have the Kansas Jayhawks as the tenth most powerful brand in in the new Big Twelve. And so, I this is where we differ a little bit. What makes you say uh, Kansas's brand is, is that low in the pecking order? Um, I would say a decade of wor- the worst college football in uh, in Power Five. Yeah, and I don't think that's really up for debate. That's fair. I have uh, Texas Christian. Okay. Number ten. Okay. Um, I think again they're trying to kind of remove themselves from that group of five stigma. Um, they really haven't been much of a player on the basketball scene for the better part of the last decade. Um, you know, without Gary Patterson, uh, they they don't really have a brand identity because I think he was that's synonymous. such a crucial part of a brand. Yeah, his identity. Yeah, that's oh, that's really well said. And for so long they were such a stable brand. Um, you know, you, you think dynamic offense and especially a really good defense. But with the Sunny Dykes football team, it's it's reminiscent of some of those Mike Leach uh, Texas Tech teams. And so they've, they've been fortunate this season to come out on the right side of things. Um, but from a brand perspective, I just don't know if they have the staying power to, to be a premier brand in the new Big 12. You know, and you mentioned that, the most recent, uh, the first iteration of the college football playoff rankings, uh, TCU finds himself seventh uh, behind uh, Alabama, most notably with a one-loss uh, team. You know, I think that maybe speaks to uh, a lack of brand equity there. Yeah, uh, for for TCU, and it's something to monitor going forward. Most definitely. Uh, that brings us to number nine. Number nine, I've got TCU. So okay. we're we're right in the in the same boat there, and I think you really kind of hit the nail on the head there with with why. I have TCU as one of the bottom tier brands in the new Big 12. And I have Cincinnati at number nine. Um, you know, I think that this also kind of a brand on the rise. Sure. Um, but still not quite uh, there with the middle pack of the Big 12 as far as brand goes. Um, again, I think that G5 stigma 
uh, mid-major stigma might stick with the Bearcats uh, until they can really establish themselves as a power five staying power brand. Yeah, I have I have Cincy at eight, so we, we see that uh, very very similarly. Uh, really well said there there by you, Dilu. One thing I would say about Cincinnati, they go to the playoff this year or last year, um, and uh, had had a really nice season. Now that was in the American. That that's that's not a, a, a yeah that's a G five conference, not 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 the power five. Yeah. Can that trap? A lot of people are wondering. Yeah, I need to see more from that brand moving forward. Uh, at eight, I have Texas Technical. Okay, I got them at seven. Yeah, so we're so right in the same boat there, right in lockstep. I think Texas Tech um, really is just a, a basketball school now, um, and which isn't nothing. Um, I think that they've kind of just surrendered on football for the most part. Uh, you know, they they go and hire. Well, shoot, they. Matt Wells. I mean, I think that's just kind of demonstrative of just how far their brand has fallen since Mike Leach was... Um, was called the shots down there. Called the shots. Yeah. They haven't had a winning Big 12 record in football in a long time, and I, I just kind of see them as waving the white flag for the gridiron. Um, but basketball, you know, that nothing to shake a stick at. We'll see if they have the staying power to really embrace that identity moving forward. But it's that kind of... Uh, non-commitment and just limbo that doesn't have them uh, moving to the upper echelon of the new Big 12 as far as brand goes. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, at number seven, I had the Kansas Jayhawks at number seven. Okay. Now, I had the I had Kansas at 10. Right. And, and, and But you're a little bit more uh, bullish here on the Jayhawks. Well, the difference between Kansas and Texas Technical, I mean, both schools are just um, non-factors as far as football branding goes. But Kansas has really just embraced that that basketball brand, and I think that that's a smart move by them. Um, you know, and whether it's they seem to not shy away from being kind of the the not clean basketball program. Yeah, and it's also it's kind of nice that they've kind of been able to carve out a niche for themselves. Yeah, which is important. Um, you know, just kind of, hey, you know, we are what we are on the football field. That is what it is. But but basketball is where our bread's buttered. Like, think of it like Virginia, like the University of Virginia, for instance. You know, not a terrible brand, but it's not a brand that anyone associates with two major sports. Virginia is a lacrosse school. Yes. And they're a very this. good lacrosse school. Very, everyone knows this, yes. But, they, but it's just not something that moves the needle uh, for your typical American household. Um, and so you, you have to be a little more in tune to really recognize that V. I think you have to be a little bit more in tune to recognize the Katie Jayhawk. And that's just because, um, you know, they're, they're shying away from the premier college sport, uh, which is, of course, football. Um, who do you have at number six, Icon? I've got a newcomer. The first, uh, well, not, not, the, uh, not the first of the newcomers here, um, but the, the first of the newcomers to kind of hit that upper middle class, so to speak, uh, of these new brand rankings. And I've got a uh, former national title winner, Central Florida. Yeah. Yeah, John, John. So this might be our biggest departure because I, you'll hear later, I, I have Central Florida. Um, well, I take that back. I have Central Florida at five. So okay. forget everything I said. Okay. But we both agree on, on Central Florida being kind of in the middle upper class of the Big 12 brands. A brand on the rise, perhaps. Uh, one of the... The largest undergrad enrollments down there in in uh, 
in Central Florida, uh, down in Orlando. Yeah. Huge, a huge potential for this brand moving forward. They got a pretty strong, um, recognizable home field with the bounce house. They have Nitro, who I like a lot. The Citronauts. Yeah. Well, and that, see, and that the Citronauts, I think, kind of takes a leaves a little bit of brand confusion. Are they Citronauts? Good are they the Knights? Are they the Golden Knights? Apparently, are they Central Florida? Are they UCF? They want to be the UCF Knights. Um. And so that's, I think, they are national champions. Yep. Can't take that away from them. No. But it's that brand confusion, I think, that really prevents them from being one of the top two or three brands in the conference. Well said. Well said. Um, at number six, I have the University of Baylor. Okay. So this is maybe our biggest departure here. Yeah. Well, the, the way I see it is Baylor has had tremendous success both on the football field and on the basketball court. They okay. have, they have. But I still think that people view them as, maybe this is, I, I don't want this to sound bigoted or prejudiced in any way, but people, I still think, associate them a little bit with kind of this niche uh, religious institution. Mm-hmm. That they're this Baptist college in Waco. And I know Waco, we yeah. on the rise, by the way. Yes. Steel Magnolia. Uh, the games. Yes. But when you and I were in school, Waco was lame. Very lame. Um, and dry, and they were playing at Floyd Casey. Um, and so I think Baylor brand on the rise. I think Waco brand on the rise. Uh, but I still don't think they've, uh, they've yet to really surpass, kind of get over the hump, as far as I'm concerned from a brand perspective. I'd like to back up Magnolia Network, not Steel Magnolias. That's a... Steel Magnolias is a film. Yeah, that's a that's a motion picture. Right. Yeah, so a good one. Possibly some of the that confusion takes place. Yeah. As you see right here on the short side option, uh, into some confusion about the brand. But I've got Baylor at number two, so I'm I'm all in. All right. Well, let's go to number five. Uh, I mentioned I have well I have Central Florida at number five. I think we've covered them. Who do you have at number? Five? I have the West Virginia Mountaineers. When you think of when you think of West Virginia, you think of you know, kind of high-flying offense. You think of Huggy Bear uh, out there on the bench. Hall of Famer, too. Yeah. Uh, just recently inducted in the Hall of Fame. But you also think about some other aspects of that brand, which are extremely powerful. The Flying WV. Yeah. The Dude. The Dude of West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, right. absolutely. Everyone, everyone knows the Dude. Yeah. Uh, his MH-ver. Yeah. MH3-ver. One of the premier uh, conference realignment insiders with both – uh, that gentleman and the dude. Uh, but then also what it comes down to, to me, which put this brand as one of the top five here going into the new Big 12, the couch burning. That's a huge part of their brand. And uh, you, you can count on West Virginia uh, to, to have that firepower, pun intended, uh, moving forward here in the new Big 12. <laughs> That's a little bit of standing. That's kind of a little bit, yeah. Uh, I have West Virginia at three for, for a lot of the same reasons you said. I mean, country roads, the couch oh, country burning, roads, the flying WV. The Mountaineer with the Muskie. I mean, what's not to love? I, I, I think that very strong brand. West Virginia is a very powerful brand. They are the flagship institution of, of a proud West Virginia state. And uh, I think one of the strongest brands in the Big 12 moving forward after Oklahoma and Texas leave. Okay. Now we're in the top four. The final four, yeah. if you will. I have Oklahoma State at four. I've got Oklahoma State at four as well. You can chalk them in there right at the fourth spot. Oklahoma State... I mean, you think Oklahoma State, you think Mike Gundy. You do. And what a guy. What a guy. I love Mike Gundy. A legend. 
Um, he's my favorite coach in the Big 12. Mine too. Um, you think of T. Boone. You think of Bullet. You think of Bullet the Horse. That's right. You think of Pistols Fire. You think of Pistol Pete. That's right. You think of Orange. And Black. That's right. And that's why Oklahoma State's solid brand. A lot yeah. of on-field success as well, which obviously contributed to that. Reigning Fiesta Bowl champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in, in that, um, I think this is something to be said here. In that post-game uh, trophy presentation, Mike Gundy said, you know, you talk about, you talk, he was talking about brands. And he's he's babbling about, about brands, baby. He's babbling about brands. He's like, you know, you look at this Notre Dame golden helmet, all, all that goes along with, with, with that brand. Points to points to the OSU logo and says, "We've got a brand right here. Look it up." You said that, so facts. That's uh, tell them, Mike, and it's a very strong brand, and it is one of the uh, one of the premier brands in the Big Twelve. Not the premier brand, but one of uh, the brands on on the rise. So I mentioned I have Western Virginia at number three. Uh, who do you have at three? I have Brigham Young, the highest of the newcomers yeah. uh, to uh, to the Big Twelve. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I bring him young at number two. National following. National following. Cosmo. Cosmo, yeah. What an unbelievable mascot that is. You think of uh, the mountains. You think of a great uh, view of the stadium. You think of national championships yeah. in the past. Uh, Lavelle Edwards, of what he did at that program. You see a program that has put, uh, has put guys in the NFL uh, year in, year out, this very strong brand moving forward. And also, as I mentioned before, a national following. Yeah. Something that can't be overlooked. Yeah, and really international. Yes, I mean, 100%. It's it's global it, follow. It's not too far off of Notre Dame. No. Um, in, in terms of kind of that national, international, religious aspect of drawing eyeballs, uh, not just from the States, not just from, especially not just from the continental United States. Certainly not. Um, a lot of uh, an Islander presence on that team. And I think when you can have a brand that spans oceans, what more do you need to say? N- not much else to say. Um, I had West Virginia at three. I had Brigham Young at two. You had Brigham Young at three. I had Baylor at two. Uh-huh. And we, we talked about that. Scott Drew. Yeah. Dave Aranda. Guys that are getting it done on the, on the court and on the field. I mean, Jerome Tang. Jerome Tang. Where we were able to uh, to pluck him, and, and after one exhibition game, looks like it's uh, a no doubter that he's going to further elevate Kansas State's brand. And and let's get to number one here with a yeah. bullet. Kansas State, Kansas State. Yeah, there's no question about it. The house of the legend built. That's right. And you think of you think of what makes Kansas State such a tremendous brand. We talked about the the viewership that you saw uh, just last week against Oklahoma State, but. Kansas State continually ranks uh, in, in all windows as as a leader uh, from what the Big 12 has to offer uh, outside of Oklahoma and Texas with them moving on. To me, it's a no-brainer. Kansas State's the, the most uh, preeminent brand in, in the Big 12 moving forward. Well, yeah, I, I think it's clear that K-State's the Big 12 standard bearer uh, as far as branding goes. Um, and we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I think it's um, – it's a testament to really power what power had Snyder built. Hundred um, percent, and kind of associating K State football, especially with this really strong brand defense, um, power and, running game. Yeah, and um, 
just really built K-State into not just a, a regional focus, but a national focus in a lot of respects. Because guess what, folks? 3.4 million people watched a 48 to nothing beatdown. They did. I mean, that game was a that game was over by halftime. Over. The game it was was in hand. You could have turned it off and not sweat at all. But people didn't turn it off. No. They kept watching. And, and they kept watching because people when people see the power cat. It's appointment viewing. And, and, they, and what I want to get back to is they, they see the power cat, they know they're watching big-time college football. Yeah. And uh, there's no question about that. It's been a brand that's been one of the standard bears in college football for the last quarter of a decade – or quarter of a, uh, of a century. Uh, over the last 25 years, I don't think there's any question uh, that K-State ranks among uh, the college football lead in that, in that category. Well, and I think you put it best on Twitter this afternoon when you said, uh, you know – we're not kidding ourselves. K-State's not Ohio State. No. It's a brand. No. I mean, K-State's not Notre Dame. K-State's not Alabama. K-State's probably not even Georgia. But K-State is right in the thick of kind of that second tier. 100%. I think you called them the, the near blue bloods. Near blue bloods. That's where, exactly the term I Or you think, yeah, probably like school brands like Clemson. Florida State. Florida State. Probably Auburn. Auburn. Penn State. Yeah, Michigan State. Some of those teams that that uh, are always kind of contending for conference titles, contending for for New Year's Day bowl games. Uh, you know, this is this is a brand that has been a standard bearer in the Big Twelve for some time now, and, and is only trending in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's you know, Watson well, put Oklahoma's game on the afternoon slot. Nope, they this did last weekend. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and uh, Baylor, uh, they meet on the gridiron this week, and that's an ESPN Plus game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, brand yeah. on the fall, brand on the decline. Uh, Texas, of course, didn't play, but Texas is probably the best brand in the Big Twelve right now. No, I don't think there's any question about that. So, I mean, you get two titans uh, when it comes to, to branding, K State and Texas. You look, TV executives, they're just drooling about that. I saw the Sugar Bowl folks uh, in the parking lot uh, last week before the K-State-Oklahoma State game. They don't show up for just any dog and pony show. They had the option to go to Baylor at Texas Tech last week. And they thought, you know what, we'll, we'll, head, to, we'll head to Bill Snyder Highway. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take in the Flint Hills. So let's put a bow on this thing. Um, you and I, uh, we mentioned we're, I think at this point, kind of brand experts. Um, at number 12, uh, we each had Houston. Number 11, you had Iowa State. I had Iowa State. Number 10, you had Kansas. Uh, I had Texas Christian, number 10. Number 9, you have Texas Christian. Number 9, I have Texas Technical. Uh, number eight, you had Cincinnati. At number eight, I had Texas Technical. Number seven, you had Texas Tech- Technical. Number seven, I had Kansas. I had S- Baylor at number six. You had Central Florida at number six. At number five, you had West Virginia. I had Central Florida at number five. Number four, you have Oklahoma State. I have Oklahoma State at number four. Number three, I had Western Virginia. Number three, you had Brigham Young. Number two, you had Baylor. Number two, I had Brigham Young. And number one with a bullet, we each had Kansas State. 
is the preeminent brand in the Yeah, Big 12. And, and you know, there's a lot of, I think there's, when you go through that list of 12 teams, there's a lot of discussion to be to be had there in terms of, you know, where, where certain brands sure. rank. Number one was easy. I mean, that was that that one you could you could easily go and, and you don't even have to have to stretch that hard to, to be able to justify with easy facts and numbers, uh, which is what which is what we've been citing here throughout. It's just data, folks. Simple as that. Yeah. Um. You want to while we're still on the subject, off the top of your head, what's a really strong brand? It doesn't even have to be college football. Coca Cola. Yeah, absolutely. The Polar Bears? I love those guys. Yeah. Huge fan of the Polar Bears. Huge fan of uh, of Coke. Yeah. Coca-Cola, Diet Coke, Coke Zero. Love it all. Yeah. I was going to say the World Cup. Ooh. It's, it's a big-time brand. Only comes around once every four years. That kind of... Um, um, and, and Fox is, of course, you know, promoting that brand. Everybody wants a piece of that. No question about it. Including Kansas City. Yes, um, 100%. But that wraps up Babylon about brands. We can't wait to bring you this segment every single week. Um, and that's our promise to you. We're, we'll bring it here every single week talking about brands and kind of the movement of uh, each team in the pegging world. Absolutely. I look forward to this new addition here to the short side option. Well, Icon, we're going to go ahead and get into our final segment on the show, a segment that we call Ask the Icon. Where listeners can, of, of course, submit their questions to the short side options very own Chris the Icon Sork, and he will answer them for you. And you can submit those questions at uh, on Twitter by tweeting them at tsso underscore podcast or by using the hashtag Ask the Icon. Or you know, remember in grade school where people would fold up uh, paper and it's a kind of a little canonical structure. Yeah, They'd stick there index finger and their thumbs in it and kind of oh, yeah. do the Pass up, notes. up, down, and outside and, yeah. and kind of make you pick a number and do all that. Um, maybe utilize that. Maybe get get the head of the fracas here. Um, 100%. If you see, if you see the icon out, maybe show them one of those and um, ask them to pick a number and you do your thing and, and maybe there'll be a question on the inside of one. Maybe. Who knows? Um, nonetheless, our first question this week comes from listener David Saban at Savanation on Twitter. He says, Icon, got a question about Seth Porter for you. How would you describe this young man as a punt block specialist? You know, I would say he's elite yep. at it. And, you know, I might be looking for a punt block this weekend. He almost had one last week. Almost had one last week. And, you know, Seth Porter got right into the mix there. Uh, in that big picture of, of Will Howard and Adrian Martinez embracing Seth Porter right there uh, to monitor that hug. I'll be monitoring his punt blocking throughout the rest of the season. Seth Porter also got a snap or two or handful against uh, Oklahoma State at wide yeah. receiver. Yeah. Interesting that, uh, you know, it was interesting to see him out there instead of a guy like Keenan Garber. Yeah. I wonder what, I wonder what his status is. Uh, something to monitor, though, uh, as we'll continue to do with uh, not just Seth Porter's pump blocking, but might have to add that wide receiver duties in there as well. 100%. Look forward to that. Uh, next question comes from listener Nashville Nick at N. Leland W. on the bird. And Nashville Nick says, Hey, Icon, daylight savings ends this weekend. Please plan accordingly. Good advice. Good. <laughs> Good advice. Fall back. He said, Also, what are your thoughts on finally breaking out the flashy lights Saturday? I know it's scary, but I think it's time for us to jump on board with them. 
Can we even do that? I don't think we have the infrastructure for it. It's kind of, this would be a nice time to do the flashing lights. Uh, maybe they're hard at work on the Fort Snyder on installing those things. Maybe. Week. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe there's something, uh, a trick up our sleeves here. Yeah. Uh, Post-Halloween trick-or-treat there, possibly. <laughs> Could be. How about, about that? So uh, just when you think you're out of the woods, not so fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this would be a great time to break out the flashing lights. Kind of scary. But hey, tis the season. Tis the season, baby. Spooky season. That's right. Uh, tremendous question by Nick, as always. Or, excuse me, in Leland Ward, um, Nashville Nick. Uh, next question comes from listener SteveZ60 at SL Keck. SteveZ asks, two-parter. Two-parter. Uh, yes, hey, Icon. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't ask. He says. This is the hey, Icon segment with SteveZ. Okay. Hey, Fly Icon. Away. Hey, Icon. Question one. Was D 56 gone last week because he was coaching up Will Howard? No, it was not. Oh, I thought the cat might have been out of the bag there. No, it was not. I mean, that was busy. <laughs> he has things to do. I think work got uh, a little hectic there last week. No, I can't take any credit for Will Howard. Okay. Noted. Question two. How would you feel about K-State going full lavender for all jerseys? Not drippy. Not icy, not clean. Probably hurts the brand. And that that's not a position that we're looking to do. Uh, so, K-State's brand's the power cap. Silver silver lids, purple tops, silver pants. K-State under climbing, not a great record with all no. jerseys. No, certainly not. So, if you want to find a way to diminish your brand, all all lavenders, might be, that, might be the ticket for that. Yeah, um... Here's a good idea to harm K State's brand. Why don't you dress them in pink and watch them lose? Mm, don't like that. Mm, yeah. Not, not 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 my cup of tea. I'll pass. Pass on that too. Absolutely. Well said there, D. Louis. <laughs> Sorry for jumping into your segment. Oh no no hey I we're it's we're, hey it's the hey icon segment. Yeah, yeah. apparently you know but we'll we'll get you in the mix there partner. Uh, number two, Stevie says hey icon. Oh wait no that was number two already. We got them both. We're, we're out of there. This has been the Hey Icon segment. Uh, next question from listeners. Next question comes from a listener, Andrew Town. Andrew underscore underscore Town on Twitter. I think this is Andrew Town's first time getting into the mix here. A maiden voyage. And we look forward to hearing what he has to say as he enters the mix. He's got a chance. Yeah. Let's, what do you got, Andrew? Andrew says, after the success of Will Howard had versus OSU, could K-State turn to a two-quarterback system with Howard and Martinez moving forward to keep defenses off balance? You know, I looked at the, or I, I think I touched on that here a little bit earlier in, in the program. And I just don't think that that's probably the best way to go about it. Um, now, sure, if, if an effective play is taking place, yeah, I think you can make those switch because I think you have two guys that have, have shown that they can perform. And... I just get worried, you know, the old the old saying, play two quarterbacks, you got none. Yeah. I don't think that's the case here with Kansas State. And would I see a situation with where two quarterbacks would be juggled hasn't really ever been the uh, the the MO uh, of Chris Kleiman. Has it ever worked anywhere? The only place you could really point to it working at was like, well, I'm not saying the only place, but the one that first comes to mind is like uh, those Florida teams, like 2006 with, with Chris Leak 
and uh, Tim Tebow. Now, Tim Tebow was really more just a red zone guy and a short yardage guy. Uh, I don't think that that really fits in this situation. You could maybe have Adrian Martinez come in those kind of situations. would be interesting to see, but I, I don't think that's in K-State's best interest moving forward to play two quarterbacks, uh, whether if it's Adrian Martinez, whether if it's Will Howard. Uh, that, that's given given the green light on, on Saturday. Uh, I think you're going to see that guy uh, go through uh, the entirety of the game unless you know, they're ineffective or, or get banged up. Uh, great question, Andrew. Thanks for uh, getting into the mix here as we move forward to our final question on the podcast. From listener Nordy underscore Jelson at Nordy Jelson on Twitter. He simply asks, Icon, do we want Bama? Bring him on. Bring him on. I think the defense could... I don't know that maybe Georgia, but aside from that, I don't know that there's a better defense in the a definitively better defense built uh, to handle Alabama than Kansas State. Sure, I mean maybe why not? Why not? Maybe, maybe Michigan, but I think K State has probably a top fifteen defense in the country. Um, and, you know, yeah, why not? Bring them on. Uh, and, you know, that could be a potential K-State wins the Big 12, gets the Sugar Bowl. We saw the, the reps just last week. Uh, could be an opportunity where they where, where they take on a Southeastern Conference uh, foe. Uh, Kansas State 1-0 against Southeastern Conference foes so far this season. believe they have handed Missouri their only uh, loss uh, by two scores in that game, or two touchdowns. Uh, so Missouri got a big win last week against South Carolina uh, down in Columbia. Missouri's uh, kind of starting to seemingly find their footing a little bit. Uh, that looks like a little bit better win for K-State as we move forward. Yeah. I believe Chris Kleinman is now 3-0 and against the Southeastern Conference. Yeah. Am I forgetting one? Mississippi State, uh, Louisiana LSU. State, and uh, Missouri. Um, so, yeah. Bring him up. He's not scared. Um, well, Icon, that wraps up uh, our final uh, question on Ask the Icon. Any final thoughts here to share with our listeners? No, other than I'm really just looking forward to this game uh, here against Texas this week. Big opportunity for K-State to really uh, solidify themselves as a participant uh, in the Big 12 championship game down in Arlington with a win. Uh, you know, if K-State comes up short, still a lot of football to be played and a lot to be decided here in the final couple weeks of the season. Most definitely. Again, the two powerful brands facing off. A bit of an elimination game here for Texas. Uh, Absolutely. And yeah. that's that's it's funny you say that because it's interesting. You mentioned earlier, if you have two losses in the Big 12, um, you're still wide in the race. But three losses eliminates you. And there's an interesting um, elimination game uh, on Saturday potentially for uh, Texas playing for their lives. Yep. Uh, another interesting uh, elimination game on Saturday for Oklahoma State, facing yep. off against Kansas yep. in Lawrence. Um, and so those are the those are the games that you really got to watch because until you hit your third loss, you're still theoretically in the race. And even if you have three losses, um, you have a chance, depending on tiebreakers, uh, Texas, of course, uh, still to play TCU, uh, still to play Baylor. Um, you know, there, there's still some something out there. There's really only... There's really only two teams in, in the Big 12 currently that I would say are, are really eliminated from 
from conference title contention. That's Iowa State and West Virginia, who who uh, hook up here uh, this Saturday at, at Jack Trice. But uh, I think other, I think Oklahoma is probably yeah Oklahoma is probably because their three losses are are to Kansas State, Texas, and um, Oklahoma State. Or excuse me, Oklahoma's three losses in Big Twelve play are to Texas Christian, Kansas State. And the other, uh, of course, to Texas. So, uh, with that being said, the tiebreakers are going to be tough for Oklahoma to probably shake things out uh, there. But, uh, you know, if they, they went out the rest of their games, you know, they're going to be sitting there at 6-3 at, uh, at and three in the league, probably with the, the tiebreakers not in their favor. But uh, who knows what, what's he, what could all be in store for Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma needs a lot of help. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're probably not going to get there. They would need K-State to uh, just about lose out. Yeah, they need them to lose three more games. Um, and so I think they're probably gone. But so to keep an eye, I, I think that number three uh, loss effectively knocks you out. Um, speaking of Oklahoma, they host Baylor this weekend in another one of these elimination games. Um and so if Oklahoma can get the win, and if Kansas State can get a win, I think Kansas State can uh, maybe not punch their ticket yet because there's still Baylor on the horizon. Um, but K-State would have to – things would have to go real sideways for K-State if that happens after Saturday. Let's just, let's just go right through it here. Texas Tech and uh, TCU, who do you like? I like Texas Christian. Texas Christian, me too. Baylor, Oklahoma, who do you like? I like Oklahoma in that one. I, I think like they're starting to get right. And uh, Baylor looked good against Texas Tech on Saturday, uh, in the second half at least. But uh, I think Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's starting to hit their stride a little bit. Yeah, I'll take Oklahoma in a really tight game. Yeah. But that that's uh, going to be a great one uh, in Norman. Oklahoma State in Lawrence against KU. I like Kansas in this spot. Um, you know, I, I think that they looked... Really bad against Baylor in the first half, but then kind of got clicking and could have won that game um, if one or two more things went right for him. Uh, I think the bye week came at the right time. We'll see if Jalen Daniels plays. I know Kobe Bryant was starting to get some run at practice this week, and so uh, K-State, or I'm sorry, the Kansas, uh, on both sides of the ball, may start getting a little healthier here as we move on. But I think they're catching up on the state uh, at a time when Oklahoma State is really regretting having that bye week so early. Yeah. Um, I think Oklahoma State gets it done on the road in Lawrence. Uh, what I come down to in that game, just the power of Oklahoma State's brand. Um, so that that's kind of what uh, separates that game for me. Uh, West Virginia and Iowa State, uh, two of kind of the bottom feeders here in the Big 12. Ah, uh, who cares? <laughs> Give me your Iowa State this one. Yeah. Iowa State by yeah. a, favored by a touchdown. Western Virginia is really leaking oil. Um, and, you know. Might be the last game for Neil Brown. Well might be looking that way. And if that were to happen, that would be really convenient for K-State um, if they're able to face a West Virginia team that's basically not really looking at a bowl game as an option, um, looking at potentially an, an interim coach situation there. Um, so, yeah, I think... I still think Iowa State's not a bad team. Yeah. And it's it feels crazy to say that as they're sitting at 0-5 in the Big 12 right now. Um, but I... They just don't look that far off to me. Um, and I think the defense is really good. And if Hunter Deckers can start maturing here, I think Iowa State could uh, 
play spoiler for one or two teams here as the season moves on. No question. No question. Well, uh, I think that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, you know, we hit a lot here. We, we reviewed K-State's 48 nothing uh, victory over Oklahoma State. We previewed a big-time matchup with Texas. We highlighted another Wildcat legend like we do every week. And a new tradition here on the, on, uh, the uh, Short Side Option Podcast, babbling about brands. Yeah. And we, we, we covered that, uh, you know, really uh, did a good job with that. And then, of course, Ask the Icon, uh, you know, a, a, a stalwart um, aspect here of the short side option. It's a good brand for the short side option. And it's a strong brand, and it, and it continues on here. And we'll be back here next week on the short side option uh, to look at what is going to be another big week in the Big 12 uh, as K-State goes on the road to Waco uh, for a big-time matchup. Uh, with the Baylor Bears. So that'll do it here for this episode of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening and go Cats!